to today's presentation of the 2023 Mid-Year Economic Update. I'm your host, Christopher Calandra. Thanks for joining me for today's presentation. I want to begin with a quote from Dr. Nito Kubin. He is the president of High Point University, and he says, success rarely comes to those expecting failure. Thought that would be a good start to today's discussion. In terms of the agenda, want to cover quarterly returns since 2022, discuss major index performance. Then we're going to cover some uh, reasons to worry, including inflation, Fed action. I want to talk about the wall of worry, uh, talk about cash levels, and some causes for optimism. Let's begin talking about quarterly returns since 2022. We all know that 2022 was a very difficult year. The central issue that really hurt the markets and the economy overall was runaway inflation. So in 2022, we started off badly in Q1 with the markets being down and I'm using I'm using the S&P 500 as a proxy for the markets overall. Uh, but the market was down over 5% in Q1. Then things worsened with an awful Q2 down 17%. We had a rough Q3 down 4.47%. But then we saw a rebound in the fourth quarter of uh, plus 7.47%. And that turnaround continued into the first quarter and throughout the first half of this year, with the S&P being up 7% in the first quarter and following that up with a really strong second quarter, especially the month of June, which was terrific. The market finished up 8.18% for the second quarter. So what I'm going to share with you, the story, if you will, is that the bear market seems to have ended in early October of 2022, uh, probably with the low being put in on October 12th. Since then, since then, the market has enjoyed a rebound. This coincides, and I have some slides in a bit that'll represent this, uh, this coincides with inflation uh, coming down uh, the peak seems to have been for inflation in June of 2022, where inflation was over 9%. Uh, in the month of September, inflation was still red hot with over with an inflation rate of over 8%. Uh, but since that time, inflation has sort of rolled over. And as it has begun its downward trend, that has coincided with this market rebound that the quarterly returns represents. When we look at the major market indexes, share with you that since the fourth quarter, uh, the NASDAQ is up 30%, the S&P up 25 bonds have also enjoyed a rebound, being up 6.67%, and the Dow up almost 20%. When we look at just this year, just calendar year 2023 from January 1st through June 30th, we see much the same. NASDAQ up over 31, S&P up almost 17, uh, bonds enjoying a plus 3% gain, and the Dow being the laggard up 3.8%. But generally, 
the markets have been faring very well. I want to talk about something that I consider to be worrisome, and then I'll give you the other star, uh, other side of the story, if you will. Uh, what caught my attention is this right track, wrong track poll. This has been around a long time. It's a very simple poll, not open to manipulation. It simply asks Americans, do you believe the country is in uh, heading in the right direction or the wrong direction, right track or wrong track? Uh, the most recent uh, survey results found that a whopping 74% of Americans believe that the country is on the wrong track. Uh, this is really not a good number. You find only 20% of Americans believe the country is in the uh, heading in the right direction. It's, it definitely gives you a sense, gives me a sense, that the country continues to be in a sour mood and not too happy with a lot of what's going on in the country. Now, some of this is political, some of it's cultural, but a big portion of it is also economic. And it seems to me, if we look for reasons to be a little pessimistic, this would be one example that so many Americans seem to believe the country is on the wrong track. So that's my outlook on this. Now, let me point out, uh, last uh, week, I did a version of this economic update uh, with my friend Jordan Jackson, who is a market strategist with JP Morgan. And it was a great discussion. I appreciated the opportunity to interview him about his thoughts and JP Market, uh, JP Morgan's thoughts about the economy and the markets. He viewed this differently. JP Morgan views this differently. They view this as a contrarian indicator. They view this as a sign that, uh, most Americans feel negative and that history shows that uh, this will lead to good results as more uh, people change their mind from wrong track to right track that will usually coincide with the markets doing well. So I'm not sure exactly where I fall on this. In my presentation, I defi definitely have it under the broad category of reasons to worry. Uh, but Jordan made a very good argument and gave some historical information and indicates this might be something that you would view as a contrarian indicator and might actually be bullish. We'll have to wait and see. But it is clear as well that geopolitical unrest is something to watch. Uh, there are always things in the world that would be worrisome if they spun out of control. We saw this uh, in a very real way last year in February when Russia invaded the Ukraine. And that was part of what plagued the markets last year. It also had a significant impact on inflation because with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, we saw energy prices spike dramatically. Uh, now, inflation has come down. We're going to talk about that in the next couple of slides. Uh, and a big reason for inflation coming down is that energy prices have come down. You may have noticed that at the pump when you fill up your gas tank. There's still a lot of geopolitical unrest, though. The Russia-Ukraine uh, war is still going on. Uh, I thought last year, if you listen to my podcast and uh, presentation such as this, I thought that the, the war would end rather quickly, that there would be some type of settlement. 
that clearly is not the case. This has dragged on for close to a year and a half. We also have worries on top of what's happening on the European continent about China's increasing aggressiveness uh, as it relates to Taiwan. So another reason to worry is what's happening around the world, most notably in Ukraine and with China, especially with China and Taiwan. One worrisome aspect, which I think has melted away a bit, is concerns about a recession. When inflation in 2022 was intensifying and seemingly out of control, it really sparked concerns that we would have a recession and perhaps a really deep recession and possibly a recession that lasted a while. Uh, I keep I keep referring to these inflation slides, which we're going to get to, which we will. Uh, but the recession fears have waned quite a bit. Inflation has come down. The economy has remained in growth mode, not great growth, but growth nonetheless. And the U.S. labor market has stayed strong. So the recession concerns are not nearly as strong and worrisome as they were last year at about this time, for example. So just to summarize, we talked about the right track, wrong track. Now, that might be a reason to worry, although it might turn out to be uh, the opposite of that. That might be a contrarian poll. Uh, I'll get back to you on that in a future presentation on the economy and the outlook. Uh, There's a lack of confidence. I spoke to that briefly. Seems to me the American public are still in a bit of a sour mood and still a bit pessimistic on a lot of fronts. Uh, Another reason to worry is the Fed being perhaps too aggressive. Uh, The Fed, I'll show you, uh, let's jump to this slide. When we look at this slide, the Federal Reserve raised interest rates 11 times for a total of 5.25% beginning back in March of 2022 and finishing on this slide in June of 2023, you could see the Fed was very aggressive raising rates. When I say very aggressive, by the way, this is the most aggressive rate hike cycle the Federal Reserve has ever done. So it may not just, it is not just a feeling that the Fed was aggressive in raising rates. Historically, it is the most aggressive they've ever been. Now, as of this recording, the Fed decided not to raise rates at the most recent meeting in June of this year. They decided to put it on pause. There's been some fancy language around this. Um, Is it a pause? Is it a stoppage? Uh, It's a little unclear. The Fed is signaling. They are signaling that they will raise rates two more times this year. Um, at 0.25% per. That's conventional wisdom. That's what the Fed seems to be communicating to all of us. They also say, though, that they are rate dependent. Uh, So this could change. I personally am skeptical. I think there's a good chance that they will only raise rates one time or maybe even turn out to be done raising interest rates in this cycle. The reason why this is a, a reason to worry is that history teaches us that one of the things that could often lead to a recession or bad economic and market results is is that the Fed becomes too aggressive, that they overshoot the mark. 
they raise interest rates to rein, to rein in inflation, but they end up doing too much too fast and do undue damage to the economy, including the labor markets. So that's definitely a risk. But at the same time, I have been impressed with what the Federal Reserve has been able to do once they swung into action last March in bringing down inflation and bringing it down faster than a lot of people bargained for, even what a lot of expectations had for 2023 in terms of inflation. Things have been better than most people would have thought on the inflation front in 2023. We covered a little bit of geopolitical risks. And the last worrisome thing I wanted to mention is that the commercial real estate market is experiencing some stress. Now, I've been talking to a lot of clients about this, and this stress is not across all commercial real estate. It is centered in, I think, two areas, office space and retail. And even when we look at the stresses in those two sectors of the commercial real estate market, even that is based on some local elements. For example, office space in New York City and San Francisco is under a lot of stress. Those cities are dealing with some significant difficulties that are related to any number of things, including local governance, population trends, the aftermath of the pandemic, crime, a whole bunch of things, but their vacancy rates are very, very high. Part of what's plaguing commercial real estate generally, especially retail and office space, is this spike in interest rates that the Federal Reserve has engineered has meant that borrowing costs have gone high fast. And so if you're looking to borrow money, the cost of borrowing money is very high. At the same time, vacancy rates vacancy rates have come down and you have more open space in offices and retail especially. So property owners have less income, which makes it difficult to refinance or to finance. And on top of that, you have the higher interest rate costs. So in a lot of instances, you're seeing the value of commercial properties, picture large office building in central Manhattan and New York City, uh, the valuations are coming down. Another element of this is the recent banking crisis. I don't know if you'd call it a crisis. That might be overdoing it a touch. Uh, but when we saw earlier this year, a few banks fail, uh, starting with Silicon Valley Bank out in California, followed by Signature Bank in New York. And there were a few other um, uh, decent size regional banks failed and others had to be supported by the FDIC. Um, it meant that borrowing also dried up, not just because of the interest rates, but also because banks kind of uh, wanted to become less aggressive and really just stay quiet to ride out the rough period. So you had less lending. So all of this leads to a little bit of stress in the commercial real estate market. Some people are predicting that this could spiral out of control, something akin to the real estate crisis we saw in 2008, 2009. Although I consider this a worrisome item, something that I want to keep track of, I don't think it'll make a great uh, difference overall. Uh, that it'll spiral out of control in a way that is something like 2008, 2009, far from it. But it does bear some watching. 
So I've alluded to these slides several times. So let's get to it. The inflation rate. You could see back in July of 2020 when we were still central in the pandemic, uh, especially the fear of the pandemic, uh, inflation was very low because prior to the pandemic, we were experienced, the U.S. was historically low inflation. We had low inflation for a very long period of time. But then it sort of began to increase as we uh, went through and uh, beyond the height of the pandemic, culminating in a high inflation in the summer of 2022. As you can see from the chart, um, it is leveled off and the trend is now our friend as inflation has gone from over 9% last June, over 8% in September of 2022, to the most recent reporting that showed inflation just over 4%. That means that inflation between June of last year and June of this year, was down about 55%. An impressive decline in inflation. Uh, the Federal Reserve gets a lot of criticism, fair criticism, that they were too late to act to uh, rein in inflation. But once they did swing into action over this last 15 months or so, uh, they have engineered desired results where inflation has turned over and come down. It's still too high. It's higher than what the Federal Reserve wants. They would prefer it to be in the two, two and a half percent range. It's at four plus, uh, but they've come a long way in a short period of time. And I find that very encouraging and a key reason for optimism. Uh, this here is a monthly graph of inflation. And you could see that we're at 4.05, but you could see monthly. And this shows uh, in a little different view how inflation went from 9.06 to 8.5 to 7s to 6s, that the trend has been pretty reliable over the last year with it coming down month over month. My expectation is that will continue. And as inflation comes down, that is good for the economy, in my opinion, and is likely to lead to good results for the market, just like it has over the last stretch. I think that can continue. It's fair to say, though, that some aspects of uh, the U.S. economy has not seen inflation come down as other parts have. I mentioned a moment ago energy has been a big contributor in inflation coming down. But stubbornly, food prices are still going up faster than the overall inflation rate, as is shelter costs. You know, rent is still going up. Places are unaffordable. So it's not like it's all good news, but in general it is, and I think that's important Another thing that uh, caught my attention that I find to be optimistic, and it ties into uh, this theme that I have been talking about for a year now, the wall of worry. The thing is, cash levels are at an all-time high. You could see going back to 2007, uh, we are, Americans are holding more money in money market assets than they ever had before. And this is considered perhaps an optimistic bullish sign because as people become less worried, less pessimistic, they change their survey answer from wrong track to right track, 
this assumes, of course, this happens. But as it does, they might, Americans might begin to take money from money market assets and move them into risk assets. That means that the stock market would often get its fair share of these monies and monies moving from the bank, from money markets into the stock market can often have uh, the end result of helping to drive markets higher. Some of that money will end up in other assets and investment classes, not just the stock market. Uh, real estate would be included in that. But I find this to be very encouraging. The market's been able to mount a pretty good rebound since October of last year, while at the same time, there's still a lot of money on the sidelines that's yet to be deployed as that money if that money, and I believe there's a good chance based on history that this occurs, comes off the sidelines, gets invested, that could mean good things for the markets and the economy overall. So just to review causes for optimism, I believe the bear market ended in early Q4 of 2022. Uh, it's not proven yet. Uh, there's still a chance that the market could uh, enter into a, another downturn and uh, go back to where we were in October of last year. I don't think that's likely. Anything can happen, of course, but my, my sense has been, and if you listen to my podcast and other presentations such as this, if you're a client and we've had review meetings, I've been pretty consistent since um, the late summer, early fall, um, that we are entering into a new bull market. So far, so good. Uh, the history of bear market rebounds, uh, let me jump to uh, this slide. I've shared this before, but it's an important one in my thinking. This shows that when you have bear markets, uh, going back to 1962, over 60 years of history, you can see first off that bear markets do happen with some regularity. Uh, they're always upsetting because you see market prices go down dramatically. And the reason why they go down dramatically is there's usually something scary or negative happening. What this chart shows, though, the optimistic part, is that when the market bottoms, when it gets to its low point, and you look at the market using the S&P 500 as a proxy, one year after a bear market low is put in, the average rebound is 44%. Three years after the bottom is put in, the average return is 16.5%, um, still well above of what the long-term return of the stock market is expected to be. So that's encouraging. If, in fact, we did bottom in October, it gives a hint that maybe if history holds true to pattern, that we're on track for a good period where the markets um, do well and reach new highs. Of course, none of this is guaranteed. Uh, this time might be different. And you can make the case that it's different this time because of any number of things, including the pandemic, the economic shutdowns, our political environment. Uh, but this slide gives me a lot of uh, optimism for where we're going. I already mentioned talking about inflation quite a bit already, but Key takeaway is inflation's down 55% from June of 22 to June of 23. Not many people saw that happening, so it's been a better than expected storyline. 
and I believe inflation will continue to come down over the next stretch. It may take a little while to get it down to that two, two and a half percent level. But as long as we're making consistent process, I think the market will absorb that news very well. Uh, we have a very strong job market in the U.S. Uh, there's a tremendous number of job openings. If you're, if you want to get a job today uh, and you have any skills whatsoever, maybe even if you don't have any skills, uh, you're likely to be able to get a job. Uh, and uh, pay is on average going up. It's not on average. You know, you look at the aggregate in the economy keeping up with 8% inflation, but it is keeping up with 4 or 5% inflation. We have a, jo a strong job market. In fact, you could make a good case that there, uh, the shortage in labor, especially skilled labor in certain industries, is actually holding back the economy from racing forward even faster. And we have healthy consumer spending. U.S. consumers continue to spend. Um, that's good for the economy. We are a consumer-based economy. So in the simplest sense, uh, the economy goes as the consumer goes, and the U.S. consumer likes to spend. And the U.S. consumer continues to spend this started, this newest chapter, if you will, started coming out of uh, the pandemic shutdowns where people wanted to make up for lost time and came out of the pandemic spending money fast and furiously in an effort to catch up for lost time. That trend has continued. The consumer may not be as healthy as they were um, during the pandemic when they stockpiled a lot of cash. But I seem to believe that the consumer is relatively healthy and this spending will continue. The last point I want to make is dreaming of a soft landing. A few slides ago, I talked about the risk that the Fed would be too aggressive and possibly trigger a recession, maybe a nasty recession, although that risk has been reduced over the last stretch. Uh, but there is something called a soft landing. The soft landing is a general term to describe the Federal Reserve acting by raising interest rates, but managing to not do undue harm to the economy, where they could just thread the needle, play everything so well that they engineer a soft landing, where they get inflation under control, don't trigger an economy, don't make a mess of the economy, yet still be able to get job one done, which is rain in inflation. So I did this episode on the Simply Financial podcast a little bit ago, dreaming of a soft landing. I still think that, and this is what I talked about in the episode, there is a good chance that the Federal Reserve is able to pull off a soft landing. It's not easy to do, but I think they are in position to get some really high praise by pulling off a soft landing. Can they get inflation under control in a timely fashion, raise interest rates, slow down the economy, but adjust the dials just right that they engineer a soft landing. Thus, I've been dreaming of a soft landing. Uh, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up is the debt ceiling. When you look at the performance of the markets in the month of May, um, they were not so good. Uh, June, as I referenced at the beginning of this presentation, was a really great month. The debt ceiling risk the risk that uh, our politicians wouldn't be able to come to agreement on the debt ceiling definitely put a wet blanket on the market, and we saw that in May. Part of the reason why June was so good 
and why I am optimistic moving forward is now the risk, this debt ceiling risk was uh, solved when the Biden administration and both houses of Congress came to an agreement on the debt ceiling. I may, as a citizen, not like all of the elements of the debt ceiling. Everything was agreed to. And actually, in reality, that's um, that's true. I don't really like a lot of aspects of it. But when I look at the economy and I look at the markets, the key thing is a deal was done. We might have just kicked the can down the road, but at least we did kick it down the road, giving us maybe time to come up with a better solution. Here's to hoping. Putting a lot of faith in uh, U.S. politicians might be a risky venture. But here are some of the major elements of the debt ceiling. Um, what was agreed to is a reduction of spending on domestic programs, uh, agreement that there would be less IRS funding compared to what was previously agreed on. Uh, there was a minor increase for military and veteran spending. I'm in favor of that. We need to take care of our veterans. Uh, we may not do such a great job, so maybe a minor increase was too little. But nonetheless, minor increase, I think that's good. Um, student debt payments will resume. Um, this agreement took place before the Supreme Court uh, came down with their ruling that squashed the Biden administration's plans to forgive student loans. Um, so student debt payments will begin this fall. A lot of people are viewing this as a significant negative event. I think it'll be a negative event for some households, but generally, I don't think it will be much to do about anything. Um, but student debt payments will resume for the first time since the pandemic. Uh, clawback. There will be clawback of excess COVID-19 funding. The government put a lot of money in play to help states and locales uh, fund through the pandemic. Some of that money has not been spent, and the federal government is going to try and get that money back, given that the pandemic emergency seems to be in the rearview mirror. And lastly, uh, the debt ceiling agreement called for large energy and infrastructure projects. These are always pet projects that the federal government feels good about doing, so that was included in the agreement. There's a quick, quick down and dirty summary on the debt ceiling agreement. Uh, so let me, as we wrap up, uh, this is a common slide I have in these presentations if you're a, a regular to, uh, to these economic updates. Uh, here's, if you're a client of ours, what you could expect. We are regularly, regularly, I can't even say that word, reviewing changes that may affect you. Um, this is in relation to the markets, the economy, taxes, legal estate planning issues. Uh, we're going to review those and keep you up to date on items that can impact your planning. And we're going to communicate to you regularly through the podcast, through presentations such as this, through our monthly mailing. Um, you could call us, you could email us, you could go to the website and sign up for a consultation, either if you're a client or would like to uh, discuss having us work with you. Uh, along those lines, if you know of anybody that would benefit from speaking with us, they're looking for a fresh perspective or a second opinion, please, please let us know. And lastly, your health and well-being is our highest priority. Uh, the team and I, we really appreciate the opportunity to help you with your financial needs. We are always planning for your success. So that brings us to the end of this presentation of 
the 2023 uh, mid-year economic update. Uh, thanks for uh, joining me today. If you have anything you want to discuss in particular about your situation or anything I covered, uh, please contact the office by phone, email, or through the scheduler. Thank you again. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Sage Point Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.